Good morning to you. You know, uh, the creator, who's also our designer, made it so that every single one of you somehow is creative. And we want to celebrate that. We want to do that because our creativity is one of the key ways that we can worship God. So Christmas time, the four Sundays in December, we're going to do uh, creative art services. The kids are going to do one. The youth are going to do one. We're going to do one as adults. The themes are hope, joy, peace, and love. And so we're looking for artwork, theatrical pieces, short films, whatever it may be, along those themes. And what we're going to do is uh, look for people who are doing all sorts of different artwork. You see the, the sample. This is just a sample of the different types of artwork because I believe that we have it sitting out there. I believe it's already here. It's a question of exploring it. And to, as we design and put together these services, we imagine that people are going to have questions. By the way, all this is on our website. So next Sunday, after both services, we're going to have a really short meeting where people can come in and ask questions. What about this? What are you going to do with this, this type of artwork? You know, how are we going to display it? You know, different things like that. So if you want to find out more, it won't be a long meeting. It'll be a short meeting after both services. We'll have that next Sunday to answer your questions, because more information is going to come about those Sundays. But as we celebrate the birth of the Messiah, we want to do it in a very creative way. By the way, I believe that, that um, creative art is one of the most powerful evangelistic tools that God has put in us. There's something that happens that people respond to art in a different way than a normal Sunday service. It's the way God designed us, I believe. So anyway, that's coming up. And connected to that, we happen to be doing a, a series. This is the second week in a series on living by design. We believe that God designed us and created us for different reasons, different purposes. So last week, Pastor Craig started us off uh, talking about <clears throat> the fact that you are designed. And this morning, we want to talk about you are designed for a promise. You are designed for a promise. So I'll be looking at Malachi 2, verses 10 through 16. So if you're in the New Testament, you want to turn left. It's the very last book in the Old Testament, right? So just the very last book in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 2. We'll be looking at that and reading that in just a moment. You know, there's a politician who's looking for votes, and so he's from going from town to town in his district uh, trying to, to stump and get some, some votes. And he came to one town, he got talking to the mayor and asked, so what are your needs here? And the mayor says, you know what, we've got the small hospital, which is fully fitted, but we've got no doctor. We have no doctor. Paul just said, I promise you I can take care of that. Whips out his phone, gets on the phone, has this passionate conversation. Yeah, okay, well, well very good. We'll, we'll get it. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. We got it. We, you are going to have a, I promise you, you're going to have a doctor here tomorrow. Got it taken care of. Now, what's the other problem? What's the other need that you have? And the mayor said, well, the other need is the fact that we have no cell phone coverage anywhere in this town. Someone once said that promises are like babies crying in a theater. You want to follow through on them right away and get them out, right? You, a, um, a family had just gone to a funeral, and they came home, and the little five-year-old girl turned to her, her daddy and said, you know, are you, are you going to die, daddy? Are, are you going to die someday? And the dad said, look, don't worry, sweetheart. I promise I will be alive for the rest of my life. <laughs> it's a good promise for a five-year-old. You know? 
All right, promises that we can keep, promises that we shouldn't have made, you know, whatever it may be. So Malachi 2 says this, starting in verse 10. Do we not have one father? Do we not, did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. And as for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you weep, uh, uh, you flood the Lord's altars with tears, you weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And you ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And why does the one God, what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. And the man who hates and divorces his wife says the Lord, the God Almighty, does violence to the one he should protect. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the words out of Psalm 105, that you are the God who remembers your covenant forever, the promise that you have made to a thousand generations, that you are the God who does not change. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever, that you are the God who is eternally faithful. You're the God who makes covenant promises to us because you love us, know us, and designed us for yourself. And Lord, as we look at the carnage of our lives of promises made and broken, promises failed, promises disappointed, we ask that those of us who know and follow Jesus would remember that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak your truth and your loving kindness to us, and that by your word we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Bill Johnson, uh, the Redding, up in Redding, California, at Bethel Church, has said something I think is really good and kind of defines our series for us. All sin is a violation of design. Those who don't recognize the designer don't have a sense of being designed. And once you've gotten rid of design, you've gotten rid of purpose. And once you've gotten rid of purpose, you've gotten rid of accountability. And once you've gotten rid of accountability, you've gotten rid of the fear of God, which is the basis of wisdom. And if you look at that step-by-step erosion of biblical character and valuing, you recognize why we have the chaos that we have all around us. You see, we worship a God who is a designer. Creator God is a designer. He designed you. And the chief way that he frames his design is by making covenants and keeping those covenants that he's made. 
The word covenant appears in verse 10 and again in verse 14. So God has actually ordered our, our world, our lives, our relationship by his promises, which scripture calls as covenant. A covenant was agreement between two parties that would come into agreement about something. And that covenant, that agreement was always ratified by a sacrifice. And we believe, of course, that in all the covenants that we found in scripture, all the way from Genesis, all the way to Revelation, that we find that the covenant is finally fulfilled and completed in Christ who sacrificed himself so that we might live in freedom, so that we might live free of of shame and and guilt and be able to keep our promises. So that covenant and that final covenant that is fulfilled in Jesus was done by his sacrifice for us. That's what we believe, and that's the God that we worship. But notice how he begins, Malachi begins in verse 10. He says, do we not, has one God not created us? Notice the plural pronouns, we, us. What he's saying is, hey, guys, we're in this together. This is about all of us. This is to the people of Israel, all the 12 tribes of Israel, and then those of us who are grafted in, those of us who now belong to that, who are part of the church who worships Christ Jesus, we are part of that story. We have been brought brought in to this covenant that God has designed and created that is expressed in in relationships. Relationships that, that connect the worship of God and our personal relationships, and it goes together, and I'll show you how he does that in this passage. As he does that, we recognize he uses the word one four times. Only one God, one designer, one creator, one father. He's father God. There's only one, and that is the center of all of our worship. That, that, that is a covenant-making God that we're talking about. And then he asks, okay, so why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? So he's going to use the word unfaithful five times. And he's going to use it in three different contexts. In this verse, he says, unfaithful to one another. So generic, general category. Then he says, unfaithful by getting into a relationship with someone, man or woman, who doesn't worship the God of the scriptures. Actually, the, the word is, it, the passage is, is literally that you are love, um, you're marrying women who worship a foreign god. That's literally the, the phrase that he's going to use in the next verse. And the last one is being unfaithful to the wife that you're actually married to. So you're committing adultery. He says then the way that we keep faith is by keeping God's covenant, by keeping his promises And we receive his promises, which are all covenants of grace. Why? Because we've done nothing to earn them or deserve them. The price has already been paid by Jesus. That's what we walk in. The problem is, he says, you profaned it. What does that mean? Profane means you're treating something holy and special as common. He says, what you do is you do that now with people. So you treat your spouse, you treat your loved ones, you treat friends as, as common. Yeah, you're not that important to me. If I make a promise to you and I break it, ah, you'll get over it. So you treat people as common, like you really don't care. And it eventually leads to contempt. It says you treat people as common. You treat me as common. And so he says, okay, let me get specific with you. The next verse, verse 13, or verse 11. Judah has been unfaithful, and you've done a detestable thing. And that is, you have desecrated my sanctuary by marrying women who worship another god. You get the connection? 
You, you've what? You've desecrated the sanctuary, the temple where we worship God by my relationship with a woman? What are you talking about? And he shows us that the oneness we're talking about is our personal, private lives with who we're having relationships with, and the worship of God is actually all linked together. It's actually all connected together. So we, we think that we can kind of silo it out, and God, God doesn't know what I'm doing privately. When actually it's all intimately connected. So, so you're actually ruining the place where people come and worship God by your relationship choices. Crazy, huh? He says, so in verse 14, he's going to talk about divorcing the wife of your youth. And in this verse, he's talking about marrying again women who worship a foreign god. So the issue, by the way, is not about race or ethnicity. That's not the issue. The issue is, again, is who that person, man or woman, is worshiping. What their faith is like. That, that's the issue. That's the thing that damages or violates God's design for you and his promise to you. So uh, in Deuteronomy 22, he talks about being unequally yoked. And since not many of you who've gotten out your oxen lately out of the garage and been plowing in your backyard, I assume, that most of us don't understand the analogy. But what he's saying is basically, if you got an ox and a donkey and you, you, you got them all yoked up to do your, your plowing in your field, this, they are are incompatible, the oxen and the donkey. They're uncooperative because their nature and temperaments are, are different. And so you're going to have a mess in your field is what he's saying, right? It's going to be a disaster. He says, that's what it's like. You're, you're hooking up with someone who has a whole different value system than you're supposed to have. And it's going to be a wreck. It's going to be a train wreck. You need to be thinking about that. Paul picks up the same idea, 2 Corinthians 6, when he says, what are you guys doing going and, and marrying people who don't worship the God that we worship? And so we make promises that we shouldn't make or we have other agendas for. After breaking up with his fiancée, a young man realized the error of his ways. And so he texted her and said, dearest Marine, no words could express the great unhappiness I have felt since breaking up with, with you and breaking our engagement. Please take me back. No one could, could ever take your place in my heart. Please for, forgive me. I love you. Yours forever, Jimmy. And P.S. <laughs> Congratulations for winning the lottery. When we make promises, sometimes we have an agenda. Sometimes we have a motive that we're working, right? We're actually trying to get something from somebody. And, and Malachi says in verse 12, as for the man or woman who does this, whoever he may be, God's going to remove him from the community. That you have now, by your choices, removed yourself, put yourself outside of a community that can actually help you support and carry out your, your promises. Because when we break our promises, it violates worship. And the stakes are high. How high are the stakes? The idea, Genesis 1, as Pastor covered last week, man and woman created in the image of God, got brought together in, in marriage, is a metaphor and a value that God expresses in Genesis, and it goes all the way through the Bible till we get to Revelation, where we are described together as the bride of Christ, and Christ is the groom, and we go to a great wedding feast. So that image is carried all the way through Scripture. It's hugely important. It's part of God's design and deliberate purpose for, for, our, for our lives. And as some of you are now contemplating the wreckage of your own life and failed promises or promises broken, I want to remind you again, there is no 
condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. If you're a relationship with Jesus today, there is no condemnation. You need to walk in that and realize the truth of that. You see, otherwise it's, it's like a man or woman who makes a promise and holds it in his hand. It's like holding water. And when you open up your fingers, it all goes away. And we lose ourselves when we break a promise. He says, verse 13, another thing you guys do is you, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and you wail and you carry on because your worship isn't accepted because God knows you're just fooling around. You come on Sunday and you do your thing, but I know what you do during the week, so I don't even know why you're wasting your time coming and pretending like this. You have drama, emotion without substance. Emotion is good. God gave us emotions, but it is not the basis of truth. The Holy Spirit is the basis of truth, right? So don't make promises when you're happy. Don't make promises when you're angry. Don't make promises when you're sad. Not a good thing. Emotions and promise-making do not go together. It is not wisdom. Can I just promise you that? See, the first promise that we make is we, we are, that we break is the promise that we make to ourselves. The promise that we won't do that again. The promise we won't say that again. The promise that we won't go there again. And drama overtakes character. And so we weep and wail to God, disappointed with God and his promises because he's failed us again, when in fact we are the ones who've committed spiritual adultery. How do we do that? Instead of relying on him and his promises, we rely on our anxiety and our worry and our stress, which are simply symptoms of unfaithfulness. They're a form of idolatry, actually. See, we don't trust God enough, and so we resort to our own anxiety and our own stress and our, and our own worry, which based, is based on what? Is on the future. Promises are about the future. When you make a promise, it's always something about something going forward, right? And as you think about that, when we're not basing it on what God has done by his spirit and we're basing it on our emotion or how we feel in the moment, what we do is when the promise is broken, the grief of today is piled on to the grief of tomorrow. And tomorrow doesn't belong to you. But by grief and anxiety and stress, we're trying to borrow into tomorrow, and you can't. And so it's really a grand waste of time is what, what it is. And that burden becomes too much, and so then we break another promise. And we promise things we should never promise to begin with when we base it on our emotion or if we're sad or angry or whatever it may be. So a couple went out and had a date night. They had a great night together and they came home and much to their amazement when they walked in, the house was quiet and their kids were actually asleep. They could not believe it. So they talked to the babysitter and they chatted and they paid her and she's walking out the door. And she says, oh, oh by, by the way, I told Sammy that if he stayed in bed that you'd buy him a pony in the morning. Someone making promises for you? Someone handing you their promises, their agenda, their motives, whatever it is to take, get Sammy to stay in bed and be quiet, whatever it is in your life. You see, word and deed needs to match. And the reason that God is God is what he says he does. What he is, he does. He's perfect in word and deed and everything that, that he does. He's absolutely consistent. And our capacity to keep a promise depends on our Christ-like character not what you're feeling. Our capacity to keep a promise depends on our commitment to Christ 
and not your opinion or something that you got online. Our ability and empowerment to make and keep a promise is dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And that should be the only basis of making a promise. And he says, you've, you've asked, verse 14, why? It's because the Lord is a witness between you and your wife of your youth, and you've been unfaithful to her, even though she's your partner, a wife of your marriage covenant, your marriage promise. You see, there is no such thing as a pain-free marriage or a pain-free relationship. But, but we're going to work on trying to find one. That's why you're on Tinder trying to hook up with somebody last night or whatever, whatever site you were looking at, is we want to find a pain-free relationship. We want to hook up quick and get over it before this uncomfortable or gets too close, or I feel too bad about it because we want it to be pain-free. And guess what? It doesn't exist. That is a lie. That is a false promise. Outside of Christ, there's nothing like that. You see, getting married today is like flying on an airline where 50% of the flights crash. Over 50% of marriages in America today crash. So would you fly on an airline where 50% of the flights end up crashing? Of course not, which is why it, we have generations of people now, millennials and General Z, that Generation Z that are getting married later and later in life. They're terrified. They want to avoid the pain. They don't want to get into promise making and get hurt again, to get disappointed again. Because with a promise, you are either making something or you're, or, or you're breaking something. You're making something or you're breaking something with a promise. It depends what it's founded on and grounded on. An elementary school teacher sends a note with the parents on the first day of school. So every child in a class sends a note to the parents. And, and the note says this, if you promise not to believe everything your child says about what happens at school, I will promise not to believe everything that your child says about what happens at home. One of, one of the things I, I did uh, years ago is I taught fourth graders in Sunday school. Fourth graders is a great age because they're old enough to kind of have some adult conversation, but they're not adolescent yet. So they, they, it's really interesting conversation. And the things they would tell me about what happened at home with their parents, I thought, oh my goodness. So parents would walk in the room and I was like, oh my God, can I even look at them in the eye? What I know about you, or supposedly know, right? What, what kids say. What kind of promises are you making? And he says, has not the one God made you, verse 15, you belong to him in body and spirit. Ah, design. Design. And every time we violate design, it tears at us. So people say, you know what? I can hook up with all these people. It doesn't matter. I'm not hurting you. It doesn't do damage to anyone. I cannot tell you the hundreds, probably thousands of people I've prayed through over the decades or over in the decades that have hooked up with this person, this person, person, and the damage, what it does to their trust level, what, what it does to how they regard the other gender. There's all multiple things that it damages them incredibly, layer after layer of hurt and distrust and damage that it does to people is incredible. But we believe the demonic lie. Oh, I'm not hurting anyone. No one needs to know about that. I'm cool. What they don't know don't, won't hurt them. It's a demonic lie. In Corinthians, Paul says this as he writes to the Corinthians. He says, do you not know that 
your bodies are members of Christ himself. Shall I take members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said that the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Notice that there is a connection. Either we're connecting with people by the Spirit, which is what the Holy Spirit brings, which is love, joy, peace, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It is all those things of the Spirit. What we do apart from that in the flesh is what brings destruction to our soul and absolutely rapes us. Excuse me, I'm deliberately using that because it's a violation. And if you're a believer... And part of that is your, your past, when there's so many people in the room, that that is your past. There's so many people in the room who are previously married, who've been married multiple times, who the marriage they're in right now, they're really incredibly unhappy, you know, whatever it may be, which is a huge amount of people in this room. Those of you who are followers of Jesus, I want to say to you again, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are found in Christ Jesus. Do you hear it? If you're found in Christ today, it is the past. It is covered. That's why he came. That's what he did for you. So what what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. Family. So be on your guard and don't be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. What, What does that mean? That marriage is meant to be a safe place to raise kids, meant to be a safe place for you. It's supposed to be a harbor. It's supposed to be an anchor for your soul. It's supposed to be a a place where children are nurtured and loved and cherished. And I've, I've met people that have gone through incredible damage in their own family. They're either orphans or foster children or came up in abusive alcoholic families or whatever it may be. And, and they tell me stories of when they're actually with friends from church and they go and visit them and they watch their families and their kids interact. And the difference is so stark to how they were raised that they're both grieving and they're laughing. They they both have a sense of incredible loss. At the same time, they have a sense of incredible healing because they're seeing what it's like when parents actually bless and love on their children. That's the design. That's what brings stability in, in society. That displays God's love to the world and a broken and confused world that it is. He says you're supposed to guard that. So when I, when I lived in, in Israel, we'd go hiking down in the Negev or the Sinai Desert near Gaza where the horrific things are happening t- today. I've uh, been d- hiking down there many times. And what the shepherds do, Bedouin shepherds, they're largely dealing with goats, but there are sheep as well, is that as at night they take these thorn bushes, part of acacia trees or whatever it may be, and they link them together and put them around their sheep or their goats at night so that, that predators can't get them. That's the word he uses here, a hedge. It's guarding. It's protecting. He says, that's what you're called to do. You're you're called to guard and to bless what what God has given you. And then he uses the word guard a second time in verse 16. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. Notice that. You're doing violence to the other person. So be on your guard. Be on your guard. And do not be unfaithful. Jesus reflects this in, in Matthew 18, right? He, in Matthew 18, Jesus goes and he quotes all the way from Genesis 1, right? And, and he says this, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female, thus affirming the Old Testament model, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. 
So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So they then ask, okay, so why did, did Moses permit divorce? He says, because your hearts are hard. Your hearts are hard. And every time you hook up with someone that you found online or every time that you break a promise or every time that, that you, you know, have multiple marriages or whatever that we have, and all of us, by the way, have, have carnage in our life. Our, our, our lives are littered with all sorts of pain. I get that. Mine, mine as well, by the way. God redeems all things. God redeems all things. All things. Even the violence. Notice he uses the word violence. That, that broken promise and broken design does to our life. You see, for, for every promise, there's a price to pay. For every promise, there's a price to pay. Now, that either is a good thing or it's a thing that we grieve over. Booker T. Washington, um, you remember ex-slave. He was an American educator, author, orator. He was, a, he was an advisor to more than one U.S. president. I don't know if you remember your, your U.S. history. So born in slavery, when the Emancipation Proclamation came, he actually talked to a number of ex-slaves, and one ex-slave told him that, that before the Emancipation Proclamation, his master had said to him that I'll allow you to buy yourself back every year. You pay me a certain amount of money, and eventually you'll have bought yourself back. And you can go wherever to find work. So this guy's in Virginia. He goes up to Ohio because he heard he could make better pay. He works in Ohio, and he's saving money every year so he can buy himself back. Then the Emancipation, Emancipation Proclamation comes. And he said, figures, I've got 300 more dollars I've got to earn. And he earns that money. And he goes and he travels the 500 miles. He walks the 500 miles down to Virginia. And Booker T. Washington said, no, wait, wait, wait. Emancipation Proclamation. You're free. You don't need to do that. You don't need to go and pay your former master back. He, he said, I know, I know. But because I am free... I can pay my promise. Because I'm free, I can keep my promise. Free people keep their promises. People in bondage to a lifestyle, to others, whatever it is, can't keep their promises. People who are loved and know that Jesus loves them, and he does, keep their promises. People who can't or won't receive his love don't keep their promises. Are you free? So we're going to pray some things together to get there because all of us, all of our lives are, are littered with broken, sinful promises that, that have violated God's design, whether it be hooking up with someone, bad business dealing, manipulating someone into doing something for you by giving a false promise, giving our heart where we shouldn't, betraying someone or being betrayed, succumbing to the, to the lie of gender confusion or gender dysphoria or whatever it is. There's a whole series of lies that we find in our culture and that we find ourselves under, which keep us oppressed by the systems of the world, and we want to be free people. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up if they would. And I'm going to invite you to repeat some prayers after me if you want. You don't have to, but if you want, I'm going to ask you to read these prayers after me. We're going to read these together. 
And if you're in a place this morning where you'll love yourself enough to make new promises, I invite you to participate in this. Okay, you guys ready? Here's the, the first one. We're, we're, gonna do, we're gonna do four things. We're, we're gonna repent, or renounce, remove and restore. And so here, here's the repent part, and it's for all of us. You guys ready? So those of you who feel free enough to do this, you're gonna read with me. One, two, three, let's go. I repent for violating your design for me. We're gonna stop there. So right now, Lord, we lay that at your feet for the way that, that we have violated your design in the different ways that's done, we repent. The second one, I repent for making an ungodly promise and breaking a godly promise. And so, Lord, we, we lay before you the ungodly promises that we've made. And we lay before you the pain connected with breaking a godly promise. When we told you we would do this and that, or we told someone that we were in relationship with who's a believer that we would do this, that, or the other thing, and we did not. And next, are you ready? I repent of all ungodly sexual activity, addiction, incest, abuse, and perversion. And so Lord, right now, we lay that at your feet. This does not define you. This is not who you are. This will not be your future. And so we repent of those things. We repent of those things and lay those at your feet. And now, Lord, we want to renounce those things. We want to remove them for our, from our lives. Okay, you ready? Here's the next one. I renounce all ungodly sexual activity, fantasy, and ways my imagination was used to perpetuate ungodly sexuality. So Lord God, I pray that you would come and you would touch each of us, our fantasy life, our, our imagination, ways that that has defiled who we are, ways that that has defiled our, our soul and, and our body, our relationships. And Lord, we ask you to remove that from our lives completely in Jesus' name. One more thing we're going to renounce. Two more things. This next one. I renounce all ungodly soul ties and vows that are connected to false promises with the violation of design. And so, Lord God, I pray that all those soul ties, those vows, those things that we said to ourselves that never again, I will never trust again, I, I will never be with that person again, I will never forgive, whatever it may be, we renounce that and we break those off of us in Jesus' name. All the false promises, all the violation of design, Lord, we renounce in Jesus' name. And the last one on the renounce side. I renounce and cancel in Jesus' name all curses and demonic assault on any part of my person due to ungodly sexual activity done by me or against me. And so, Lord, every thing that was done and the way that evil used it to come and assault me, whether I 
fully participated and willingly participated or as something that was done to me. We ask that you would break that and the power of evil off of us in Jesus' name. In fact, right now, I just take a moment and I cancel renounce any cursing and witchcraft and all demonic thereby empowered that comes has come against some of you in the room that has come and accused and assaulted you in Jesus' name and yet you've carried it with you. Some of you are carrying things from generations and we'll ask, Lord, that you would break it off of your people in Jesus' name right now that is rendered null and void in the name of Jesus Christ that is cast down at his feet and it no longer has power over your people. Break it off of your people in Jesus' name right now. Right now. All demonic, we declare that you are deaf, dumb, and blind spiritually. You cut, we cut you off in Jesus' name that you have no place or power in this room. And now we remove. And now we remove. Are you ready? Those of you participating, let's go. In Jesus' name, I remove all the emotional, mental, physical, or spiritual influence and impact on my person brought on by my ungodly sexual activity. And so, Lord, we have repented and, re and we've renounced, and now we would ask that you would remove. And so, Lord, the burden, the heaviness that some people in this room are carrying, and they've carried some of them for decades, some of them just the things that they have done this week, I ask, Lord, that you would remove that from them, spirit and soul and body, emotionally, mentally, and physically, that you would lift that off of them in, in Jesus' name. And the next one. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would remove the shame, dishonor, accusation, lies, and distrust connected with each of the memories, activities, and ungodly relationships I've remembered and confessed. Because right now, Lord God, you're breaking that off of people in Jesus' name. You're putting anything that does not come from you, originate from the Holy Spirit in the garbage can. You will not go back and retrieve it. It no longer belongs to you. It is in the past. It is covered by the blood of Jesus. It does not have any power over your life. You have that decision to make if you're to be free people. And the next one, I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would remove any lingering demonic attack or accusation aimed against me. Remove it completely, Lord. There'd be no residue. There'd be nothing hiding. There'd be nothing attached to us in Jesus' name that you remove it completely. And the last one, under remove, I ask that you would give me the strength and courage to remove all individuals and relationship with my life that are ungodly and unhealthy. And so, Lord, we do not go into judgment or condemnation or demonize anyone. We turn them over to you, Lord Jesus. We take them off of our hook and we put them on your hook, Lord God. They no longer have the power or influence in our life. We bless them and give them to you. We give them to you, Lord Jesus. May we be free people who stand in your promises. And so, Lord, come and restore us. And would you stand with me now? Would you stand with me? The last thing we're going to pray. Restoring. And together, let's go. Lord Jesus, restore to me the truth and assurance that you alone are my Lord and Savior. We declare that there's only one God. There's only one God who's promised that we can trust. There's only one covenant that we enter into with you. 
The next one, Lord Jesus, restore to me and release your promise that you will forgive all our sins and heal all our diseases. You are reading from Psalm 103. Lord, may we know that is true and that is true for us today. That is eternally true and you have the power to do that. And then finally, Let's read together. Lord Jesus, restore to me now a renewed spirit, soul, and body so that each part of my person functions the way you intended me to live. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And I ask, Lord God, that you would speak to each one here that they would love themselves enough to promise only those things which your spirit releases in them that we had come under the influence of your promise and your covenant, Lord God, that you make with us. And that we would be free people, that we are free enough to make the promises that the Holy Spirit instructs us to make. And so let us give God thanks right now in Jesus' name.